0: night of June 9th, 1979, at Luna Park, Sydney. As the slogan says, you go there just for fun. However, by the end of the night, a fire breaks out in the ghost train ride, and seven people would die. Hi, I'm your host Cambo, grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. This is True Crime Island, another true crime podcast. I don't know about you, but I'm morbidly attracted to amusement park accidents. It's not the blood and gore, but the fact that the whole concept of an amusement park is to go and have a fun time with family and friends. Although I really haven't been to many, I do like the thrill of the roller coasters, but there's always something in the back of my mind as I'm riding one. ...if the car is going to fly off into the crowd below... ...after one of the wheels break or the track comes apart. I guess that's part of the excitement. Maybe I'm just overthinking the whole thing... ...rather than just relaxing and enjoying the ride. But of course... ...amusement parks aren't all about the roller coasters. There's something for everyone... ...like games, arcades... ...water rides... ...the Ferris wheel and scary rides like the ghost train. Tonight I will be telling you the story of the ghost train fire, which happened on the night of June 9th, 1979, at Luna Park, Sydney, leaving seven people dead, six of them children. I guess, first of all, let me give you a brief history of Luna Park. Luna Park is situated near the northern end of the Sydney Harbour Bridge at Milsons Point. Originally, the location was used to house workshops, cranes and other equipment during the construction of the Harbour Bridge. Once construction was completed in 1932, North Sydney Council opened applications for tenders to develop the site. At this time, there was a lunar park in Glenelg, South Australia, owned by Herman Phillips, David Atkins and Ted Hoppy Hopkins. They were having problems with the local council and put in a tender to develop the Milsons Point site. Initially, the council resisted the idea, but eventually accepted the tender. Immediately, the Glenelg Lunar Park was shut down. Dismantled and shipped to Sydney. On the 4th of October 1935, Lunar Park Sydney was ready to open. If you Google Lunar Park, you will see that the entry is via a giant smiling face. You walk in via the mouth to the Broadwalk where the rides and other attractions are situated. The main attraction at Lunar Park was the Big Dipper roller coaster. But if you preferred something a bit more leisurely, then you could take a ride on the ghost train. The ghost train had been built in the 1930s and of mainly timber construction. The external walls were mainly timber with corrugated iron at the northern end. The internal partitions were of hardboard, plywood and wood. The roof was of timber overlaid with layers of bitumen-impregnated building paper and was finished on its top surface with hot mopped bitumen. Part of the roof was corrugated iron. There were three sets of doors on the western side of the building, the entry and exit doors, plus a set of double doors in between with panic bars. There was also a door on the eastern side which opened into another building housing the River Caves ride. There was an illuminated exit sign near the track entrance. As you can probably imagine, internally the ghost train cars follow a winding track through a maze of plywood partitions. These partitions were all painted black and scattered throughout would be the scare features. The scare features were animatronic or static displays, lit by floodlighting with spooky sound effects throughout. At the end of the ride, there was a simulated fire. There were no sprinkler systems installed, but fire hoses were stationed at either end of the building. There were to be one attendant stationed at the entry to the ride, one at the exit and another inside the building to ensure the safety of the passengers and to alert the outside attendants in case of emergency. In 1979, the ghost train was more than 40 years old. The rest of the rides were starting to age as well. Before 1972... The park would be open for nine months of the year with the other three months used for maintenance, cleaning, repainting, and the addition of new attractions since nineteen seventy two The park was open all year round, which placed additional strain on the maintenance and overhaul operations on the sixteenth of april nineteen seventy nine Thirteen people were injured on the Big Dipper roller coaster when a steel runner came loose. This stopped the carriages, but the following train kept going and ploughed into the back of the stationary one. Imagine being in the front car and seeing the train ahead stopped on the track. I'd shit my panties. The night of June 9th 1979 was a cold one you were probably listening to Donna Summer's Hot Stuff or Randy Van Warmer's Just When I Needed You Most. I mean, what sort of name is Randy Van Warmer? Fucking serial killer name. Randy, get in my Van Warmer. Anyway, it's the 9th of June, 1979. A very cold Saturday night. There was a good crowd at Luna Park that night. The ghost train was doing good business, with a steady stream of patrons jumping into the little two-seat cars for their scary ride. At about 10.10pm, patrons who had just finished the ride reported that they had smelt smoke, but shrugged it off as being part of the special effects. At 10.15pm, smoke is seen rising from the building and the attendant at the entrance, Mr Bessel, Along with another attendant, Mr. Jacobs, start to evacuate the ride. A Miss Partington and Mr. Shiano also raced in and were able to rescue two young girls that had just entered the building. By this time, the fire extinguishers being used to fight the fire were useless, as the fire took hold amongst the flammable materials used in the construction of the building. Thick black smoke now rendered any emergency lighting that was installed useless. Several people were seen to exit the building suffering from smoke inhalation and with blackened faces. They were still in their respective cars. As the flames were now apparent, the smoke was now billowing across the park site. The available fire hoses were put into use to try and contain the fire. Within minutes, the fire brigade were on site and they tried to battle the blaze. In the chaos, it was not known whether there were people still trapped in the building, but the heat was so intense, firefighters were unable to enter the building. By now, the glow of the fire could be seen across the city. Firefighters on the scene were struggling with a lack of water supply and pressure. Eventually, they had to pump it straight out of the harbour. It would take firefighters more than an hour to bring the fire under control. There was panic amongst the crowd as people were trying to account for their friends and family. Firefighters, police and ambulance were trying to make some order out of the situation. News crews had descended on the park and an acrid stench filled the air. Survivors told of being confronted by walls of of fire as high as four metres as they fled the ride. Frank Duhasi told of being on the ride with his wife Eleanor as the car nosed through the doors and they were surrounded by flames. He says they were lucky to get out alive. As midnight came, those that had found their friends and family had started to depart the area. Those left behind were becoming more and more anxious as they raced around trying desperately to find their loved ones. Hoping, praying that they were safe. It was still unknown if there had been anyone trapped in the fire. One such woman was Jenny Godson. She had come to Sydney with her husband John and two boys Damien and Craig for a holiday. They'd spent all day visiting various sites like Taronga Zoo and decided to finish the night at Luna Park. When it was about time to leave, they had four ride tickets left. The boys chose to ride the ghost train. At this time Jenny had an overwhelming craving for ice cream. Something she usually didn't eat. And so she asked the boys if they wanted some and they said no. So the boys and their father John took off for the ghost train while Jenny bought some ice cream near the Coney Island building which was just off from the ghost train ride. By the time she turned and walked back to meet her family she saw smoke pouring out of the ghost train building and her husband and two boys were nowhere to be seen. All she could do was stand and stare. After an hour or so, with the fire now under control, firefighters were able to enter the building. Here they made a grim find. Huddled together in one of the tunnels was John Godson with his two boys Damien and Craig. In the other part of the building were four boys from Waverley College that had come to the park that night to have fun. Their fifth friend, Jason Holman, was outside standing next to Jenny Godson, both stunned and in shock, looking, hoping that their loved ones would somehow be found. Jenny said in an interview with the Daily Telegraph in 2015, I wanted to stay there and I remember someone standing beside me and until a few years ago, I didn't realise who that was but it ended up being Jason Holman, the fifth boy who was with the other boys. We sort of had survivor's guilt. We're here and they're not. That still haunts both of us today. It's just something that doesn't leave you. You learn to live with it, but those sorts of feelings, they're innate in you, so it doesn't go away. What do you do? You come to town with your family and are having a great day out. You go to get some ice cream, and you never see your family alive again. I mean, what do you do? You stand there trying to take in the enormity of it all, in shock. Wondering if by some stroke of luck, you'll turn around and see your loved ones waiting for you. You're in disbelief, saying to yourself, no, no, no. All the time, you're becoming more and more anxious. Soon, becoming one of the last standing alone as everyone else leaves with their friends and family. Sure, you're going to do the same. They must be somewhere. They must be. It can't be happening. Standing alone with one other. He has the same thoughts. Where are my friends? This can't be happening. Minutes become hours. You can't stay there any longer as police try to comfort you. But you know nothing they say can help. In shock, you go home, empty, lost. Jenny couldn't live in her hometown of Warren anymore. She moved to the city and tried to get on with her life, but within a year she just broke down. But then she was able to build herself back up, and in 1986... She gave birth to her miracle baby, Emily Rose. Jenny went on to say, For my own sanity and my own physical well-being, I've had to put that away and just go on and believe somehow that all will be sorted. To this day, I still believe that there is somewhere, someone out there that knows the exact truth and I don't believe justice has been done in terms of what truly happened there that night. I mean, that's so fucking sad. In the end, there would be seven killed in the blaze. They were John Robert Godson, Craig Godson, and Damien Paul Godson, plus the four boys from Waverley College, Richard Charles Carroll... Jonathan Sean Billings, Michael David Johnson and Seamus Patrick Rahili. So, there was a coronial inquiry into the cause of the blaze. Now this is the bit where we go from sadness to anger and rage. As I told you before about the construction of the ghost train ride, It was built in about the 1930s and pretty much remained the same for the next 40 years. When you have a look at it, how it was constructed with all that plywood and bitumen, it just sounds like a fucking fire hazard. The coroner found that the cause of the fire cannot conclusively be stated it was clear that it commenced in or around the vicinity of a display representing an imitation fire. Expert evidence was given in regards to examination of what was left of the electrical system and of tests made after the fire. It was found that it was unlikely that the ignition source occurred due to an electrical fault. A statement made to police soon after the event, stating that the fire was deliberately lit, was found to be false and mischievous. It was found that people would chuck their rubbish out during the ride, and this could accumulate and lodge in and around the imitation fireplace. However, the floodlighting used in the effect was unlikely to be able to cause ignition. Smoking was forbidden in the building and there were notices to this effect. But we all know smokers. However, once on the ride, the attendants were powerless to stop anyone lighting up, which went on all the time the coroner found that it's likely that someone discarded a cigarette or a lit match at the end of the ride near the imitation fireplace and this lit the accumulated rubbish causing the fire. The coroner found there was evidence the building was poorly maintained. There were holes in the roof, the stud supporting partitions were in some cases Loose and rotten. The roof was unsafe to walk on. The floor in the vicinity of the track was in places worn and uneven. For fuck's sake, this was 1979. Okay, now get ready for the rage. In October 1977, nearly two years before the fire... Mr. Grant, a fire ventilation expert, inspected the building. What he found is disturbing to say the least. In his report he said, It was a maze. I think most people know what a maze is. It's pitch dark. I went in there when the maintenance lights were on and I had to find out what material was being used in there. It was timber, all painted black partitions and then you get to a scare area which was usually hessian plastics and electronics as a matter of fact even with the lights on i was bumping into the partitions and the wall it was a timber ceiling i would have got lost even with the lights on the only way i could keep going was to follow the railway track One effect of the winding course of the track was to disorient passengers. There were three sets of doors on the western side of the building from which escape from the building was possible in case of fire. These were the track entrance and exit doors and a set of double doors fitted with panic bars and an illuminated exit sign near the track entrance. There was a small door on the eastern side of the building leading into the river caves. It was not clearly marked and was probably indistinguishable from the walls. Mr Jacob, one of the attendants that had worked on the ride for four months, he didn't even know that that door existed. I mean, that is great fucking training. The fire guy didn't say that bit. I'll go on. Mr. Grant the fire expert said there were some doors in the partitions and they too were painted black like the walls and were difficult to distinguish. There was another door on the western wall fitted with a panic bar but it it had been enclosed on three sides to create a room used for car storage it gave no escape from the main building for fuck's sake. The fire doors near the main entrance would be seen by passengers only very briefly as they passed. Because of the curves in the track and the presence of partitions, those doors could not be seen from a point of two or three metres further along the track nor any part of the track thereafter. There is evidence that the premises were regularly cleaned, but there's also evidence from a number of witnesses of a general dirtiness of the place and the presence of rubbish. Because of its construction, internal layout and use, the building presented a high fire risk and unique safety problems. Now, Luna Park as a whole was also inspected in October 1977. This included the ghost train complex. This was done by Mr Wren, a senior health inspector of North Sydney Municipal Council, and Mr Roberts, a District Officer of the Fire Prevention Department of the Fire Brigade. Subsequently, the Fire Brigade made extensive recommendations to the Council. The Council then directed the Lunar Park Management to carry out certain works as recommended by the Fire Brigade. As to the Ghost Train, the works were the provision of an illuminated exit sign at the escape doors and the availability for public use, the installation of safety emergency lighting, the installation of a fire hose reel system affording protection to all sections of the park, hoses to be of sufficient length taking into account The internal partitions within buildings. All curtains and fabrics to be coated with an approved fire retardant biannually. Now these works were to be completed within 18 months. So, by April 1979, all these safety recommendations should have been completed. Now. On the 9th of May, one month before the fire, the council allowed a 12-month extension to complete the works. At this time, the emergency lighting and the hose reel system was still not in place at the ghost train. They allowed the extension on proviso that there was always someone stationed inside the ghost train that could detect protect a fire, and warn the other attendants. But as we have seen so many times, why pay the wage of another attendant when you can just risk the safety of others and save a few bucks? These fuckers were running a death trap. Look, to anyone out there that is happy to put profits over safety and you know who I'm talking about, when the shit goes down be prepared for the karma bus to turn up and take you to the cleaners so the safety reports of the fire brigade and direction from the council were basically ignored by the owners of the site which at the time were luna park new south wales proprietary limited so let's get back to what happened on the night so the fire started The attendant, Mr Jacobs, was alerted and he stopped further cars from entering the building. He then went about trying to evacuate passengers inside the ride. In no time at all, he found that the little emergency lighting that was available was negated by the thick black smoke. Trying to negotiate his way through the maze, he was struck and felled by one of the cars moving within the ride. Although fire extinguishers were used, the fire was now out of control. Those that left their cars were faced with trying to find their way through the dark maze with still moving cars and those that stayed in their cars likely made it out fire hoses were then put into action from outside the ride. The problem is they were not long enough to get to the root of the fire and one of them had the nozzle missing. So two of the recommendations from two years before the need for fire hoses to be able to be long enough to negotiate the maze of partitions and the extra emergency lighting they hadn't been put into place, these things were now becoming a huge problem for the safety of the passengers. Once the fire brigade was in attendance, there was insufficient water to fight the fire. They had to pump water from the harbour, but it took over an hour to get the fire under control. By that time, the building had basically collapsed on itself. So of the recommendations to install emergency exits, clear marking of all doors, provision for smoke alarm systems and smoke exhaust systems, installation of adequate, adequate emergency lighting, a proper fire hose system and sprinklers, they were all ignored by the management. These should have been the barest minimum to operate the ride without an attendant inside the ride who would have been able to detect the presence of smoke and alert the other attendants. And then they would have been able to help evacuate the passengers before the fire took hold. The coroner went on to say, that if these basic recommendations were unable to be actioned because of cost or age of the building then it should not have been operating at all although the coroner found that luna park new south wales proprietary limited and its directors and management were under a duty of care in respect of the safety of patrons well, he found that the fire was reasonably foreseeable. He found that death or injury to patrons by fire was reasonably foreseeable. He found there was a failure in the duty of care. He found also that there was a marked reluctance, even in the face of expert advice and counsel requirement. He found that this reluctance to spend money upon fire safety measures. So, you think they're all going to get charged with criminal negligence, right? Go to jail and pay all this money in fines, right? Nup the fucking fuck. The coroner found that although there was a serious breach of the duty of care, Seven fucking dead bodies is not enough to warrant charges. Profit. Now he did find that the fire brigade were the best people to give advice, expert advice, but they had no power to actually do anything about it. He advised that they be given the right of entry to premises and to be given the power to serve and enforce notices. The coroner also found, and I will paraphrase here, this shit is going on in amusement parks and venues all over the state and people need to get their shit together and clean the place up or this is going to happen again. In 1987, an inquiry into corruption by the National Crime Authority reopened the investigation of the fire. No new evidence was presented, but it was found that the police investigation into the incident had been inadequate and the coronial inquiry ineffective. I mean, who would have thunk that? So, let's just go over the whole tragedy again before I tell you about another spooky part of the story. Lunar Park was over 40 years old at the time of the accident and some of the attractions like the ghost train were as old as the park itself. In 1972, the park started to operate all year round rather than the previous nine-month opening which gave them three months for repainting, cleaning, maintenance and overhaul of the rides and buildings. This put added strain on the reliability and safety of the rights. In 1977, fire experts inspect the ghost train and find it has several safety issues and they report this to council that then direct the owners to make several changes to bring it up to a satisfactory level of safety. One month before the fire, the owners of Luna Park have yet to implement the changes and are granted a 12-month extension to complete the works. In the, On the June 9, the 1979, a fire breaks out in the ghost train killing seven people. A father and his two boys and four friends from Waverley College. And no one goes to jail. Okay, let's have a a look at another theory on how the fire started. At the time, Underworld boss Abe Saffron, you know Abe from the Juanita Nielsen case, well apparently he wanted to buy the site and so he commissioned a goon to start the fire which would then probably close the place down and he would be in a position to purchase the place. Look, there's no real evidence to support this. Although, one of his rellos did come out years later to say that Abe told her he did start the fire but didn't want to hurt anyone. Well then, she did come out later and recant her statement. So who knows? Problem is, at the time the New South Wales police were as corrupt as fuck and any investigation was always going to be sus. Look, whether he did it or not, the place should have been safe for the public to use and not a friggin' fire hazard. Similar to Grenfell Tower, where the residents were warning the managers of the building that it's a safety hazard, but nothing is done, and then boom, fuckalunga, people die. Okay, so there's been some spooky things that happened before and after the fire. First, there's a photo A photo, I'll post on Facebook and Instagram of a satanic-looking dude that was taken as the Godson family visited Circular Key just hours before the fire. The photo depicts the crazy looking dude with horns and a mask with eye holes cut out. He has his arm around Damien Godson and it would be the last ever photo taken of the boy. Apparently once the photo was taken, the guy disappeared into the crowd and was never seen again. Jenny Godson has said that she has an open mind to things like this and although she's not a religious person, she felt the whole incident was meant to be. She said, There was nothing I could have done to avoid what happened that night and when you look at life like that and all these little strange things come into play, I just feel it was all meant to be. For me to walk out of Coney Island at 9.45pm and want an ice cream. I hardly ever ate ice cream. But I had this strange desire to have it. And when I looked back on that, it was totally bizarre. Other reports of spooky things. There have been reports of other people smelling smoke and hearing screams coming from the location only to find out later that there had been a fire there. So this is people who have no idea there's been a fire, but can smell smoke and hear screams. I don't know. Well, there you go, Islanders. Again, safety over profit. And although it was nearly 40 years ago, I mean, Sydney wasn't a third world country back then, and there was no reason for this to happen. The real problem is stopping things like this from happening again. There is a plaque and a statue in place at the site of the fire, and Luna Park is still operating today. The small bronze statue was created by Michael Lunig a memorial to the seven people that died at Lunar Park that night in 1979. The inscription reads, To all those who take refuge in this place, to make a small commitment to the protection of children as they play. So this week we've had full episodes back to back. Next week maybe another episode or a special edition. The case I wanted to bring you this week has been delayed, as I'm trying to get hold of the court records. I ask any of you Islanders who may be able to assist me in searching for court records, please get in touch. They, as they are, the best place to find the facts and bring stories to you. Patreon shoutouts. It's been another month, and a big shout out to all the new Patreon supporters. This week we've got Sonia G and Jim Balfour. Thank you very much. You too can support the island for as little as $1 per month for weekly episodes. Just got to go to patreon.com forward slash truecrimeisland and sign up. You can also donate via PayPal using my email address cambo at truecrimeisland.com. You can also buy merch such as mugs and clothing by visiting my website and clicking on the merchandise link. I also have beer koozies or coolers and stickers which I post from the island headquarters so message me or email me for these details. Every little bit counts and is much appreciated. Of course you can show your support by sharing this podcast with family and friends or by leaving reviews on itunes or other sites where you find true crime island listed so help spread the word of the podcast and help someone out if they aren't sure how to do it true crime island has has a facebook group you can join Plus follow us on Twitter and follow us, follow me on Twitter and Instagram with the handle at Island. A shout out to Beck, Tyler, Jordan and the Karens from the Minds of Madness. Check out their podcast and if you go to their Facebook page, you will find a video made up of a stack of podcast hosts and listeners and that is really worth the view. Good work, guys. Okay, this is your host Cambo and you've been listening to True Crime Island and don't forget to delete your browser history. Good night.